In uh, mid-2000s, 2005-ish, Under Armour came out with a slogan of protect this house. It's one of those things that gets you all pumped up, it gets you all excited. I know that a lot of schools have adopted it, a lot of colleges have adopted it, and they take it as don't let anybody beat you on your turf. And uh, we're going to start a series today called Protect This House, and it's going to be a little bit different than, uh, than that, but it is along the same lines of we need to protect our house. And as you may be asking the question right now, well, what's that house? What is it? We're going to get to that here in a second, but I want to tell you something else. Three years ago, as of Thursday this week, was our very first service. April 4th, 2010 was Easter Sunday, and um, I'm just curious to know, we were uh, over at Sandia Vista Elementary School, which is in Enchanted Hills, kind of tucked back up in the neighborhoods there, and I'm just curious, as I look out across over here, we had 117 adults, we had 27 kids for 144 people on our first Sunday, and then of course the following Sunday we had 87, but um, that first Sunday, stand up if you're with us. Look at that. Well, thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm not sure. Now, it's been three years, so if I were to ask you what was the very first sermon I preached, uh, would you be able to answer it? I actually can because I went back in the notes and I looked. Um, but uh, the first series that I preached, the first Sunday with, uh, with Easter Sunday being right there, was called Simple. And it was simple and it was three simple things that Jesus asked us to do. The first one is to follow, second is to um, believe, and the third is to obey. And we went through the first three Sundays with that, and we broke it down, and really there's a lot of things that have changed since we've been in that location. Um, Obviously, the location's changed. We've added connection groups. We've seen people move away. We've seen new people come. Um, Lots of things have changed in three years. And the one thing I think that really has stayed the same is that is our main call. As a church, as everything that we do, it is as simple as to follow. You know, when Jesus came, he said, first, Repent, for the kingdom of hand is near. And then he went to the disciples and he asked them, or what will become the disciples, he asked them to follow, then he asked them to believe, and then he asked them to obey. And I think we do the same thing with our come as you are, be changed, go change the world. The same type of mentality. The the come as you are is is to turn from, from who you think you're going, this way you're going, and believe and start to follow God, and start to follow who Jesus is, and then believe in Him, and as you believe in Him, to obey. And that obedience is for us to go and change the world, to go and make disciples. After looking at the life, and looking at the process of how Jesus took these people through, I think that's something that we have. Um, we have this, this, I'm kind of stuck on how I want to say this. We have this, this way of, of walking and moving behind Jesus, but taking each step along the way seems to create difficulty for us. And, and I think that's part of what we want to talk about today as we move forward. And this year, our theme has been, I'm not sure if you remember, um, from the very beginning, it's on our pens. If, if you've forgotten, you can, you can grab one of those and take a look at it. But our theme has been this whole year to be all in, to go all in with what you're doing, to not just follow, not just believe, but take everything to that next step and go all in and all in in obedience to love your lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength it's about moving from where we were to being closer to god 
And that is really what we want to do. And today, like I said, we're starting this new series called Protect This House. Protect this house. To protect our house. To follow, to believe, and to obey. And as I looked back at those original sermons that we did three years ago, I started to evaluate where I am with that. How am I in the area of follow? How am I in the area of believe? And how am I in the area of obey? To follow? Check. I think I've got that. I've been in church almost every Sunday for the last 25 years. I think that, that I, have, I have taken a turn to at least follow and understand and have my questions answered. Maybe you have questions. And in those times, I, I think the questions have been answered to my satisfaction. Now, not every question has been answered, and I still have some, and I still dig and di- dig in the Bible and try and figure out what is to be said next. But um, the other thing is, is, is the, the believe part of it all. And I'd have to say that I have moved from following to believing. I believe that that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that, that God is the creator of the universe. I believe that, that He sent His Son to die on the cross for me and for my sins. And I believe He rose again from the dead in order for me to have eternal life. I believe that. I believe that Satan is a real force. I believe that there is a spiritual battle that is constantly going on. And I believe without Jesus Christ, we will not go to heaven. I believe that. So I think the follow part I have, the believe part I have, obedience. Obedience is maybe just a little bit harder, though. It's just a little bit different. And I'm not sure what it is about obedience, but I think there's this idea that obedience, I can follow because, yeah, I can, I can go to church. That's not a big deal. I can believe because that believing gives me eternal life. Believing in the Son, Jesus Christ. But obedience, obedience is going to change my life. It's going to change who I am. It's going to change where I put my money. It's going to change how I raise my kids. It's going to change everything. And that is a pretty big deal, to change your whole world, to follow somebody that maybe we have a hard time truly believing in. And that's why God gave us this process of follow, believe, obey. And I look through and I think about these things and I think, how does this have to do with protect my house? Protect this house. What does that have follow, believe, and obey have anything to do with it? And I have to say, it has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it because I believe when we finally get to where we are obeying and following God's teachings, it changes us. It changes who we are from the inside out and it becomes the main influence in my life. And when it becomes the main influence of my life, it allows me to f- understand what I'm protecting my house from. What is the house? That is the question. When I say protect this house, what is it? In sports, it's your home turf. What is it for us? When we say protect this house, I'd say it has to do with our home turf as well. It's you. It's your family. It's your house. It's this church. That is the house that we need to protect. And it's so easily influenced by everything else, so easily attacked that we forget to even protect it. And that is why we're going to be challenging you over the next six to seven weeks about protecting this house. There's a reason why Jesus gave the order of follow and believe and obey. 
Because some of us might say, well, why obey? That sounds so churchy, doesn't it? You need to obey. You need to do what you're told. You need to do this. Don't do that. You need to follow the Ten Commandments. You don't need to do the part of the Ten Commandments. You know, there's all that churchiness to it all. Well, there's a reason why Jesus went through follow, believe, obey, and in that order. The reason for it is, is this. See, if we take a look at Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was one of the first guys that, that Jesus went and talked to. He talked to a couple other guys on a boat, and then he went, and they were all with him, and all the guys in the boat were kind of looking at this tax collector. That You, know, you have your Simon Peters, and you, and you have your, your James, and all these guys are probably walking behind Jesus, and he walks up to this tax collector. Well, if you don't know, know anything about the tax collectors, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They had their own category. There was the sinners, and there was the tax collectors. They were separate. They weren't even considered sinners. They were worse than that because they were taking Jewish money they were Jews taking Jewish money and giving it to the Roman government and then keeping some for themselves. They were hated. And Jesus walks up to this guy and he doesn't say, hey, you need to get your life right. And then when you get it all together, come and find me and you can follow me. No, he says, looks him right in the eye and says, follow me. Follow me. Let's build a relationship together. And we'll kind of go from there and see what happens next. A guy by the name of Zacchaeus, also a tax collector, also hated by people. A man short in stature, you've probably heard that before. He climbed up a sycamore tree, and, and he's looking down on Jesus, and Jesus calls him out by name, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go eat at your house. Not, hey, Zacchaeus, once you get your stuff in order, once you get your house in order, once you start obeying all the ways you should be, instead of living like a sinner, I'm going to eat at your house. No, it's I'm going to go eat at your house. We're going to build a relationship together, and guess what? If you ever read that story, you'll see that as he met Jesus and began to follow, he believed and he began to obey and changed everything about himself, all within the span of an evening. But it didn't start off with obedience. It was follow me. Follow me first. Woman caught in adultery. All the Pharisees bring this woman out and say, hey, you need to come and you need to be before Jesus. And they're trying to trick Jesus with it all. And Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? We need to stone her because she's not obeying. Instead, he gets down and he says, listen, we need to build a relationship and you need to learn what is right and what is wrong. Follow me, believe, and obey. He had a pattern for it, and the pattern for it was this. It's, it was set up by his father. Because I'm not sure if you realize this, but we in the church have this tendency to tie the Ten Commandments into what we need to do and what we don't need to do, and we try and throw that on everybody. But when did God throw the Ten Commandments on top of Israel? Was it while they were still in slavery? Or was it after they had followed him, believed in the things that he did, and then built a relationship with him before he set those rules in place? Before he set those rules in place. And those rules weren't put in place to try and hold them down. It was like if you're a parent, you understand you put rules in place to keep your kids safe. You don't just say, hey, you can play on top of the stove with the fire burning. It's no big deal. That, that, that's not part of it. We understand. We, don't, we say, don't touch the hot stove because it will burn you. We're trying to keep you safe, not trying to hold you back on experiencing all of life. No, that isn't what we're doing. And the thing is, is God did the exact same thing. He didn't say, I want these Ten Commandments to be in place so you can earn my love. I think his love was shown already. Through all the time that he spent with Israel before the Ten Commandments were ever given, it was, I want to show you how much I love you and how much I want to keep you 
close and trust you and have you trust me to know what's right. God loves us so much. And that's what he's trying to say. But we live in a culture that has a hard time dealing with that. We have a culture that, that is really kind of outside the box. You know, I was talking with a guy that is a, an apologist, and his whole thing was, is, you know, we have this tendency in the church to try and go to people with the Bible and say, you need to believe this because this is what the Bible says. But he says most people outside the church don't even believe the Bible is real. They don't have what we call a biblical worldview. And he told me about it, and I was reading some stuff this week from uh, George Barna. George Barna is a, uh, is a, the Barna group is a research group that does kind of a pulse on America and pulse on spirituality in America. I actually went to the website and found this. I'm just going to read it for you. Um, it, it was disturbing to me, very disturbing to me. Let me read it for you. I said, if Jesus were to ask, who do you say I am? The question he famously asked his disciple Peter, he would be disappointed by some of the answers he'd received from contemporary Americans. A new nationwide survey conducted by the Barna Group among a representative sample of adults explored how many have what might be considered a biblical worldview. For the purposes of the survey, a biblical worldview was defined as believing that an absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles and it teaches. Satan is considered to be a real being or force, not merely symbolic. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or do good works. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. In the research, anyone who held all of those beliefs was said to have a biblical worldview. Overall, anybody want to take a guess on overall all Americans that have a biblical worldview? Nine. Nine percent of all Americans have a biblical worldview. You know what the sad part is? Only 19% of born-again Christians have a biblical worldview. 19%. Varying numbers of Americans embrace different aspects of biblical worldview thinking. The survey found that this, one-third of all adults, 34%, believe that moral truth is absolute and unaffected by circumstances. When I say these numbers, think of the opposite. I'm not sure if you could do math quite that quick, but 66% of people don't believe there's an absolute truth. Slightly less than half of born-again adults, 46% believe in absolute moral truth, which means 54% don't. Half of adults firmly believe the Bible is accurate in all the principles it teaches. 79% of born-again adults believe the Bible is accurate in the principles all that it teaches, which means 21% don't. Just one quarter of adults, 27%, are convinced that Satan is real. Born again, 40%. 40% believe that Satan is real. Similarly, one quarter of adults, 28%, believe that it's impossible for someone to earn their way into heaven through good behavior. Not quite half of all born-again Christians, 47%, reject the notion of earning salvation through deeds. How can you be born again and not believe that Jesus... Just, okay, I'm just going to go on. Um, a minority of Americans, 40%, are persuaded that Jesus lived a sinless life. Guess how many born-again Christians believe that Jesus lived a sinless life? You would hope 100. It's not. 62. 62%. 62 
which means 38% don't believe that Jesus was sinless. How are you born again? Seven out of ten adults say that God is the all-powerful, 93% of born again. So at least it moved up in that area. But this is where it got disturbing, even if those stats aren't disturbing enough. The research data shows that one pattern emerged loud and clear. Young adults rarely possess a biblical worldview. Currently found, the current study found that less than one-half of 1% of adults in the Mosaic generation, i.e., those 18 to 23 years old, have a biblical worldview. That's crazy. That's crazy. Ongoing research by the Barna Group on these matters consistently demonstrate the powerful impact of a person's worldview and what it has in their life. A worldview serves a person's decision-making filter, enabling them to make sense of the complex and huge amount of information, experiences, relationships, and opportunities that they face. It says here, the firm studies have also pointed out that a person's worldview is primarily shaped and firmly in place by the time someone reaches the age of 13. It is refined through the experience during the teen and early years and then passed on to others during their adult life. Such studies underscore the necessity of parents and others' influencers being intentional in how they help develop the worldview of children. This right here is why I believe we need to talk about protecting our house. Protecting our house. It underscores the need, the necessity of parents and other influencers of being intentional in how they develop the worldview of children. Are we being intentional about that? Are we protecting our house from all the outside influences, all the things that are trying to drive our kids and pull our kids away? There's a stat that I thought, that I read even this morning, came in an email to me, I'm like, perfect timing. 70% of youth that go through church and go through youth group and all those things will leave the church when they go to college. Why? Why does that happen? The scary thing is, I think Jesus told us about it in, the par- in a parable that he teaches in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles with you, do me a favor and go to Matthew chapter 7. Open up. We're going to be in verse 24 through 29, and uh, we'll get to it here in just a second. But I want to explain to you where it comes from. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is one of Jesus' longest, most powerful sermons on record. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gets up, and he's got followers, and he's got believers, but now he's trying to shift them from the follow and the believe to something different, and that is obey. Obey my teachings. And he stands up, and he, he starts talking quite a bit, and he's got this amazing ability, and people are just completely and totally drawn to him, and they go through a bunch of things. And I kind of gave a quick synopsis here of the Sermon on the Mount. Someday we'll probably get into it and get real deep into it. But look what it says. It says, And this was all brand new thinking, by the way. All brand new teaching. All completely different than anything they ever heard before because the Pharisees were all about do the law, do the law, do the law. And this is what Jesus says. He says, if someone makes you angry, turn the other cheek instead of having revenge. If someone asks you to do something, do more than they ask. Be generous, not because you were told to or not by a percentage. Just be generous with what you have. Forgive no matter what. It doesn't matter what they do. Forgive them anyways. Pursue those who have done wrong with love. Treat everyone how you want to be treated, including your enemies. And pray for your enemies. All kind of crazy things, radical thinking that is outside the box. And people have been following him for a while. Like I said, they, they've seen him do the amazing miracles. They, they, they're benefiting from following him. They're being fed. They're being entertained. There's not the movie theater to go to. They're having a good time. So so they're following him. And some of them are believing because they see the things happening. But now he says, this is the way you need to live 
your life. This is the way you need to be different. And he says, I'm going to wrap this up with a parable so some of you understand. Because a lot of people weren't quite getting all the teachings, so he says, I'm going to wrap this up with a parable. And the parable is found in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. I'm not giving it to you so you can avoid going to hell. I'm not giving you this so you can be better and earn my love. I'm giving you this as an example to tell you, this is Jesus talking when I'm saying I, I'm giving you this as an example to say this is how you should build your life. This is how you should take my teachings and build on them. That is what he's telling us. So if you would, please open up to Matthew chapter 7, 24 if you're not there already. Let's pray as we start off this morning. God, speak to us through this. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds. We ask you to use this parable to maybe even change the way that we think. Change the way that we have our foundation built. We pray it only in your name this morning, Lord. Amen. It says this, therefore, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, remember he just got done doing this long sermon, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. It starts off with the word therefore. Therefore, anytime the word therefore is in the Bible, you've got to figure out what it's there for. And he's transitioning here from all the things he just taught them to say, this is now what you need to do with what I've taught you. It says, the next thing he says is, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. Puts them into practice. It's not about church attendance. It's not about hearing it. It's not about knowing the right answers. It's not even about getting your questions answered. It's about putting his stuff into practice. It's about doing. Obedience is about a lifestyle. Because we know what we're supposed to do. We feel it in our hearts on what we're supposed to do. But obedience is a lifestyle. And you know what? He's calling us to a brand new way of thinking. He's calling to us a brand new way of living our entire life. Everything in our life has changed. As a matter of fact, he says this. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a what? A wise man who builds his house on the rock. Jesus is simply saying this. People who listen to what I have to say and apply it to their lives and do it are really smart. That's what he's saying. It's plain, it's simple, he's not beating around the bush because everyone in his audience knew that building your house on a firm foundation was a smart thing to do. Building your house on a firm foundation is what is necessary. It's going to take more work, it's going to take more money, it's going to take more time, but it is what is necessary if you want your house to last. Anyone who would take that time understood that they, if they would not lose their house to being washed away. 
to crumbling, to crashing. And Jesus is saying this is the exact same thing about obedience to him. Obedience to him is not about being better than your neighbor. It's not about coming into the church and saying, look how much better I am than them, or look how much better I am than this person over here. It's about obeying and building your house on the rock so when storms come, your house won't fall down. See, Jesus even says in verse 25, the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus created life. God created life. He understands that life is going to have ups and it's going to have downs. He understands there's going to be great times in life. He understands there's going to be storms. There's going to be financial storms. There's going to be relational storms. There's going to be marriage storms. There's going to be all this stuff that's going to take place. And if your house is not built on the rock, we see what the end result is. But if it is, we can survive those storms. Anybody here know who Rick Warren is? Rick Warren is a uh, very famous pastor, wrote Purpose Driven Life. Rick Warren's son committed suicide, 27 years old, committed suicide this week. He sent out a letter to the church yesterday um, explaining that he'd had a a history of mental illness, but finally those demons had, had taken him on. I can only imagine being that pastor. Last night, I I prayed over my kids, praying that that's not something I will ever have to deal with. Praying that's not something that I ever have to to face in the morning, because that is a storm that just seems like it would crush your house. As a matter of fact, more divorces happen. We were talking about this during men's Bible study on Friday morning. More divorces happen after the death of a child than anything else. And when you look at that and you you really process that, it's because there's a storm that comes in our lives and if our house isn't built on what is right and if our house is built on even the love of that child, even the, all the things that we have, our, our, our house is built on the finances that look how great we're doing financially, whatever it might be, when things happen, if it's not built on the foundation of God, there's going to be a chance it's going to crumble and the chances are, are pretty, pretty good. And I thought about that as I, as I saw the things that he was writing. And, and, you know, just to pray for their family. Pray for the things. Pray for the church because there's going to be a lot of questions answered. And, you know, and the worst thing is, is that people are so negative that they're probably going to point at him in some way and say, it's your fault. And I can't even imagine having to deal with that. So we need to be praying for him. But like it says here, hard times is going to come. They're going to come, but Jesus says, I love you and I'm going to bring you through this. And that's the reason why I have these teachings in place. That's the reason why I'm bringing this to you so you understand that it's not even about you. It's about me. It's about following me and believing in me and obeying me and I will bring you through. Because this life is temporary. There's a life afterwards that is forever. Jesus says, I know if you organize your life around my teachings, you follow the simple steps, there might be minor damage in the storms. But your house is not going to collapse. You ever seen somebody going through struggles? Or maybe you yourself have gone through struggles and the one question you ask is, how are we going to get through this? If we were in their shoes, how would we get through this? How are they going to get through this? You know, I've seen so many families fall apart 
when the tough times come. I have friends that I watched it. I watched from the outside and just, I couldn't do anything. I felt like I was stuck, like you're in that dream and you're just trying to get there and nothing's happening. You're just moving in slow motion. Everything else is moving in full speed. I've watched families that when the economy took a dump, that they had to start working overtime. When they started having to work overtime, it cut into their family time, and their family time suffered. When their family time suffered, their relationship suffered. When their relationship suffered, infidelity happened. And when infidelity happened, their, their lives were wrecked. And it all fell apart. And it all was based back on the fact that it was all about how much stuff can we get? How much stuff can we get? And then all that fell away when we realized that stuff isn't really that great. If you choose a life apart from God's teaching, he says, you're going to have trouble. As a matter of fact, he says it in verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You know, if we didn't know that Jesus was the Son of God, you'd think he had a bit of an ego. Because he's saying, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, you're a fool. You'd think that'd be a bit of an ego. ego. And you're thinking, wait, wait, hang on a second, Matt. Are you saying that if I don't build my life around the teachings of Jesus, that I'm a fool? Yes. Yes, I am. And the reason why I'm saying it is because Jesus said it first. I'm just repeating what he said. So if you have a problem with him, you go sit down and talk to him later. All right. We are foolish not to follow what he has already set up. If we choose a life apart from Jesus' teaching, we are a fool that builds a pretty house on a foundation made of sand. That pretty house is going to be easier to build. It's going to take less time. It's going to take less money. It's going to take a whole lot less effort than the guy who has to dig down to the, to the rock foundation. But just to build up on the sand, and you get that build up on the sand, and it looks so pretty and everything on the outside, and you get to go choose paint colors before this guy's even done digging in the sand to get to the foundation, and everything's looking great, and everybody's so excited about all the things you have going on. You're so great because you've got your house right next to the stream, and you can fish from your back porch. And that's so great until the storms come. And what good is all of that stuff if everything around crumbles and falls apart? thing is, is as Jesus is talking to these people, all of them understand exactly what he's saying. Because all of them are saying, nobody is foolish enough to build right next to a stream with sandy foundation and not know that that stream is going to rise someday and wipe out everything. Nobody's that foolish. And Jesus is saying, exactly. And that is why I'm saying, build your life on my teachings. That is why he keeps saying that over and over and over again. We may believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And that is great for our eternal rewards. But if we want this life to stand a whole lot better and to stand through the trials and stand through the storms, he says, not just believe, but we also need to obey. Verse 27 says, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but storms did hit both houses. Sometimes we say, churches will say, well, if you believe in Jesus, your life will get better. There's no guarantee in that. You'll just make it through life better. And your afterlife will be a whole lot better. 
That is what Jesus is talking about here. And he says this, and how he wraps up. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught us one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Basically, what I think that is in there for is this. It's a hard pill to swallow. To say, I can choose the easy life and I can go after all the things that I want. Or I can choose to believe who Jesus is and I can obey his teachings. Not everything in his teachings are exactly what I want. Though this seems easier, all of them were still amazed by his teachings. None of them got up and walked away and said, that is, that is terrible. It's a terrible thing. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I want to live my life. And, you know, I think this parable really brings us three different things. And it depends upon who you are in the room. It depends upon where you are in that follow, believe, obey. So I think it brings us one of three things, either comfort, warning, or explanation. Comfort, warning, or explanation. And I say comfort for this, because at some point in your life, if you choose to plan your life and you choose to organize your life around the teachings of Jesus, His teachings will determine your decisions. And because His teachings have determined your decisions, you might lie awake at night questioning the choice. Because your friends go out to go, get to go out and have fun and get to go out and do all these things while you stay at home with your family. While you stay at home doing something a little bit different than they are. Maybe you're missing out on the deals because you're a businessman of some sort. And, and you're missing out on the deals if you just did a little cut a corner here and a little bit of shady detail here. You could make out that much better. But you know if you built your life on the teachings of Jesus, it's going to change that a little bit. Maybe your family thinks you're crazy. Because you're making these decisions to live for some guy that lived 2,000 years ago that may not even really be God. Of course, in their mind, this is the things that they're thinking. How can you possibly do that? But I think when you look at this parable, it reinforces the decisions you make. Because there will be storms that come. And if you're cutting corners, if you're out doing things, it could destroy everything that's going on in your family. But this says you're on the right road no matter the storm. The second thing, I think, is the warning. Because if you're getting older, which I believe every one of us in here are, every one of us in here is getting older. Every day, there's new decisions that are coming up. Every day, there's new things to do. But the warning is, is this. The storms are getting closer if they haven't already hit. The storms are getting closer if they haven't already hit. And as they get closer, are you prepared for them? Is your foundation built on the rock. Jesus doesn't want you to say, hey, put all of your foundation built on your job and your money and all these things over here, and when those things go away, don't come to me and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Because isn't that our first question? God, why are you doing this to me? Why have you taken all these things away from me? And he says, don't tell me that because I've already put the warning out there. I said that if you don't build your stuff on me, you are a fool and your house will crash. He already said it. And then it maybe comes down to the final thing, the explanation. The explanation. But I go to church. But I pray. But I'm a good person. I do the right things. I treat people how they should be, uh, how I want to be treated. I, I do some of the things you said. How can God possibly let me suffer? How can he let any of his people suffer? How can a loving God 
send people to hell? How can a loving God make me go through this? God sent Jesus Christ to the earth for a handful of reasons. One, obviously, is to build a relationship with us. But I think one of the big things is is to explain who he is and to teach us the way to go. To teach us the way to go. Great thing about God is that he didn't make us robots. He did not make us robots and he's allowing us to choose. We can all do everything. We can all do nothing. Or we can do anything in between. Whatever we want. That is what God has created us for. We can choose to follow. We can choose to learn. We can choose to believe. We can choose to go to church. But if we don't put those things into practice, it's like a man who built his house on the sand. My challenge for you today is this, is to build your life on the principles. That is how we first protect this house. When we talk about protecting this house, and as we talk about it over the next, like I said, five, six weeks, we're going to look at the things we do that build on top of this foundation. But the first thing is, if you want your house to stand, it needs to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings. We need to follow. When I looked at that, 70% of youth leave the church. The question is, is why? Why does 70% of youth leave the church? And I'm sure there's various reasons. But I think one of the main ones is, is that their parents who took them to church didn't live out the things that were taught on Sundays. Didn't put God as priority number one. Didn't make him a priority even in their outside activities. Didn't say, hey, you know, uh, we have to do this and we have to skip church for this, but we're still going to take some time and at least do a devotional as a family together, even though we can't go. It's, it's that God, God got put on the back burner completely if he was even a part of it all during the week. And I truly believe that when that happens, the kid says, oh, well, the only reason why I went to church is because mom and dad made me. And mom and dad didn't really care anyway, so I'm going to go my own way. 70%. 70%. I mean, that scares me because I sat and watched our, little, our youth group take place in here this morning. And as I watched the youth group take place in here this morning, I looked around and picked out 70%. They could potentially be gone in weeks or months or years. How do we protect this house? How do we keep that from happening? How do you, as a teenager, keep yourself from wandering? You build your life among, uh, uh, on Jesus' teachings. You build it on that foundation, not on the foundation of the world, because things will come down in a crash when the storms come. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for who you are and that you did send your son, Jesus Christ, to teach us the way to go, not built on rules, not built on laws, not built on do this, don't do that, but instead, God, to show an example of why you love us. To show us physically that you would send your son to be our sacrifice and while here that he could teach us the way to go, teach us how to follow, teach us how to repent, teach us how to obey, teach us how to believe, to show us all these things. And God, it's something that we in the American culture, obviously are missing to think that only 19% of born-again Christians hold the worldview, our biblical worldview. God, how do we change that? How do we grow closer to you and our, our needs and our desires? How does this change everything? Today, Lord, we ask you 
to help us protect this house, to build that foundation on you, and to stop building it on all the things the world has to offer, but God, to build it on you and the teachings you've given. Pray it in your name, Lord. Amen. As we, uh, as we wrap up this morning with a couple of songs, I'm going to step back to the back, and I would love to pray with you because, you know, one of the things that I kept seeing throughout all this week as I was preparing for this is, is the things that I let sneak in and say, yeah, th- that's what I need to build my foundation on instead of Jesus Christ. That it's Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, that. And those things I sort of look at and say, you know, that's not it. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that is where we need to get our hearts and minds to. And I know I struggle with it. This process of follow and believe and obey is something that we do every day. And it's a process. It's not something that just immediately snap happens. It's a process that takes place. But I will tell you this. As parents, I want to challenge you to to be a part of your kids' lives and and make sure that God is a part of yours. Not in a way that is you have to do this, but help them understand who God is and that God loves us that much. Demonstrate it in your life. Demonstrate it in their lives. Show it to them. Explain it to them. Sit down with them. I don't know how many of you guys do much more than praying over dinner, but I hope it's more than that. We need to move in that direction to build our lives on the foundation, and that is how we protect this house. And, you know, next week we have a a baby dedication. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that in the bulletin, but I want to challenge you that if you have a a young one or a child that has not been dedicated and you want to say, no, I I want to, the whole idea of of a dedication is to say, I want to dedicate them and say, I'm going to live my life to the Lord, and I want to bring them up in the teaching of the Lord. If you want to do that, if you haven't done that before, please come and talk to me. I'm going to be back there, like I said, to pray with you um, or talk about that so we can set up uh, the baby dedication for next week. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. I'm going to step to the back, and I'm going to turn over to you, Jerome.